Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey everyone, Dr. Scott here. As always, I am here with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good evening to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing awesome, man. Um, good. We are rocking and rolling with the challenge. I know you just came off of a Facebook Live on this Tuesday night. Yeah, I did. We talked about psychology, struggles, um, kind of went into a deep dive of some of the early transitions and then what happens later during the extended fast, talked about self-image, um, failure points, um, just a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of good feedback too. Yeah, it was awesome. I was actually on as a guest uh, listening and I was starting to put comments and under the training video because I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I never even realized um, some of, the, some of the, the, the pain points you were going through. I was like, yep, that was me. Yep, that was me. <laughs> Um, so it was pretty, uh, pretty eye opening, but it was, uh, it was really good stuff. And we've been just seeing amazing, amazing, uh, feedback and people really getting on board. And we'll talk about uh, a couple of uh, amazing testimonials of, of, uh, of the results people are getting only just a few days into it. So, oh yeah. um, recap last week, we uh, talked about the launch of the challenge. So obviously we are rocking and rolling. We did a couple of long trainings, uh, tag team over Facebook mm-hmm. live this weekend and then I did one yesterday, you're today, we're going to, you know, just continue the momentum throughout the week. And then last week's podcast, we talked about a lot of the FAQs and the frequently asked questions and conversations that we have, and also providing some solutions to those. Um, mm. And, you know, the messages and response on that has just been amazing, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been huge. Um, a lot of people really resonating with, with those. I think it's helping a lot of people get started. We're getting some good just emails back. Um, a lot of people getting the fast start guide and um, asking for wait lists for the challenge. We've heard that a lot. Uh, we were able to, to put in a, um, a, a lot of people. Um, we closed the window and then we started, um, we allowed a few more people uh, to come in before we, we really got rocking and rolling with the challenge. So that was good. We got, we got a good group, um, really supportive. So it's been awesome so far. Yeah. And just, we want to thank you guys too, for all of you that have kind of joined us on this journey um, as we, you know, starting to roll this stuff out, we kind of get our feet underneath us. Um, you know, the, like, like we just keep saying, the feedback's been so positive. Um, yeah. Uh, got an email from, from Pete the other day from New Zealand. New so Zealand. That, Pete. Yeah. Shout out to Pete on the, uh, on the email. Um, he, he said, um, he got started with the challenge, um, got in, uh, right at the buzzer there. And, um, so he's having some, um, some good success uh, getting in. He said the, the podcast making it a lot easier to get going with it. And, um, and yeah, so we have fans around the world. So that's, that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Who knew, man? So crazy. Um, so amazing too. So we're just really grateful for each and every one of you um, that's leaving us the positive feedback. We want to, again, just continue the conversation and the journey with y'all. So continue the great work. We so appreciate your support. 
Um, and we'll just kind of dive in today with our main topic. Like what we're going to talk about is something that I believe is one of the more, um, I don't want to say misunderstood, but misrepresented or not talked about um, main components of a healthy overall health profile, you know, healthy metabolic function, healthy hormones. Like I heard an analogy um, from a doc that I followed the other day and uh, he's a colleague. He's been in, the, been in, you know, the health profession as a functional medicine provider for gosh, I think almost 30 years now. And he's got dozens of clinics that he works with and mentors. And um, he, uh, he used the Swiss watch analogy where the body mm. is like a Swiss watch where every piece is connected to another piece. There isn't a piece or a process that is not related somehow through a series of channels or a series of, of wheel, uh, what are those little things called in watches? Gears. Uh, gears. Um, and so when we look at, you know, healthy uh, weight, you know, yes, insulin is the major player, but there's so many other external inputs and internal inputs and internal, you know, proteins and hormones and just so many other things that, um, you know, sleep really is important. It just doesn't get as much, you know, discussion as I feel like it should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, sleep is one of those things where it, it's kind of, you, you hear about it a lot, but we want to dive into um, what's really effective and what are those things that can really halt our progress, even when we have the best method um, to get the results that we're looking for we can still throw a wrench in the whole situation. Um, we can, we can detract from every bit of progress if, if sleep's not on point like it should be. So that's why we'll be talking about that. Yeah. And a lot of people too, like myself, I mean, I always prided myself on being a night owl, you know, I, uh, sure. I, I didn't really work. I mean, I didn't really sleep much in school. I would stay up late. I was, um, you know, in the high school years, I was, you know, working in restaurants, bussing tables, and then I started a landscape company. So I was working late hours and then the restaurant business through undergrad and then late nights in grad school. Um, and then, you know, full-time practice. So it was like, when's my downtime? Well, it's at night. <laughs> so yeah. I always prided myself on that, but I didn't realize that I was feeding the beast the entire time. And I'll explain right. what I mean by that. And the, and the frustration is, you know, when I finally started doing everything right and really learning about my health, um, you know, I've always had the interest since just like you, since a young age of working out and nutrition and physiology and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, when I really started doing everything right, the frustration was like, okay, why am I not seeing the results over long term? I'm not talking week to week, but like month to month and year to year and come to find out you know, sleep was one of the main players in my struggle. Um, lack of mm -hmm. sleep, lack of being able to go to sleep, lack of being able to stay asleep, lack of feeling rested, always wanting to nap. Um, you know, it just, it was just amazing that, you know, it just became normal to me that I would be up from two to four every morning. Like mm -hmm. my best sleep would come between five and seven. Well, if that's not messing up your hormones, I mean, Heck, never mind the circadian rhythm <laughs> alone, yeah. which controls so many like things like dopamine and serotonin and all that. It was just, it's, it, it made so much sense when I started diving into it um, and come to find wow. out insulin and sleep have a really, really tight relationship. Yeah, they do. And um, it's, 
it's interesting culturally, you know, our, our go-go lifestyle and, you know, just doing more, earning more, uh, working more, being able to pull all nighters that becomes a badge of honor. Um, now kids are, are getting that badge earlier and earlier where, you know, I had never heard of an all nighter until college, but now the kids these days, um, high school, and I, I even hear stories of junior high, um, kids just getting into that, into that pattern. I mean, um, junior high kids, that's probably getting into a, a different thing with, uh, you know, Adderall and, and things like that, but right. they're, they are developing some, some terrible habits that are going to be with them for a long time. We're going to talk, you know, one of the big inputs I feel like um, is the reason of that is the accessibility to technology too. And I don't want to sound like the old school, you know, get off my lawn, you young whippersnapper type (laughs) moment. I don't want to be the curmudgeon. Um, You know, I am 38. I am not old. But when it comes to technology, the iPhone, you don't have to laugh. The iPhone came out in 2000. Yeah, thank you. 2006. Like, the iPhone was 2006. Like, if you think about it, it feels like it's been around forever. But growing up for me, I mean, I didn't have a phone until like well into college, <laughs> you know? Right. So things have definitely changed. And wonder if we could talk a little bit about the blue light and whatnot. But um, yeah, the habit too is, is, is big. If we can create the habit early on, and that's why, um, you know, we are... Um, kind of a little strict when it comes to um, our kids sleep. Like we, I, I don't mess around. We don't push the window unless it's an absolute necessity. If somebody's like, oh yeah, we're having a birthday party. It starts at 7.30. We're like, no, we're not going. And mm-hmm. it's because Quinn relies on if she stays up late that next day, she is a monster. So yes, we've made exceptions. Um, there's, but they're very few and far between. And as long as we have a plan for the next day, we're not traveling or sitting in the car or whatnot. We really want to keep it because now I know the importance of it. And I never had that structure growing up. I mean, I was told to go to bed, but I would sit under my covers watching Saturday night live and Monday night football on a little black and white TV. Yeah, I said it. Um, and I didn't know that I was setting myself up for failure in the future. So just, just, we'll go into a couple of the specifics. Um, on exactly what it's doing and how it's proliferating insulin resistance. Yeah. Yeah. How it relates to, to the process through fasting, um, before, during, and after, um, a fast through the extended fast, how the, how the scale changes or doesn't change, um, with respect to sleep and, and basically how, how sleep is just, I mean, it's at the foundation of, of what we're doing. We're, we're, we, you know, we talk about fasting, we talk about weight, we talk about diabetes, insulin, um, sensitivity. Um, but if, if the body is not rested thoroughly, none of those processes are going to be functioning correctly. Yeah. And just to, you know, if we're thinking about sleep deprivation, a lot of the research studies out there have to do with, you know, less than four and a half hours of sleep. Um, and that is going to be for, um, I, I want to, I want to say, depending on the study, it's anywhere in all the stuff I was, you know, been looked at over the years is anywhere between, um, two to five nights in a row. So it doesn't have to be like this long term, like oh, I haven't slept in a decade. It's literally just a couple of right. nights of decreased sleep. And then if you're getting mm-hmm. less than six or seven hours a night, it's not as such as a drastic 
um, uh, response, but it is, uh, it, your body becomes used to it. So then it's just kind of almost like, um, you know, when you smell food, you get hungry, that, that yeah. physiological effect that takes place, the same thing, your body knows, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. So let me spike the bad stuff and suppress the good stuff to be really simplistic about it. And then you get stuck in that pattern. So, you know, when people say mm-hmm. get seven plus hours of sleep a night, there's a definite reason for it. So, yeah. And it's, Oh, no, go ahead. Let, let, let me, let me just give a quick example. Yeah, yeah, so when we, when we talk about fasting, we talk about the eating window. Um, a lot of times we'll go back. Okay. So what did things look like 50 years ago? Okay. And when we talked 50 years ago for the eating window, we didn't have all the snacks. We didn't have dinner as late. Dinner was earlier. So our, our eating window was closed more of the time, which means insulin could stay low more of the time. So we weren't in fat uh, storage mode as often as we are today. Well, the same thing goes for sleep. You have the same parallel where, you know, we're not saying you should go move out into the woods and become a mountain man just to get your health back. But at the same time, we should take a page out of, out of a previous generation or two's book um, when, when things weren't quite as busy or stressful or, or um, you know, just anti-health, essentially. We, we can't invent the medicine to create the problem when we don't solve the problem. It just, the equation doesn't work. Yeah, and there's a couple big components to that, you know, industrial, if you go back and look at history, industrial revolution, and then you look at, you know, you know, big business and, you know, the just the, the changes in the way that we did business where back in the day, you were all working on the family farm or in the family business and walking everywhere and <laughs> no, no iPhones and blue light and those types of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, as it's progressed, we're, we're outside less and less and, you know, blue light and sunlight are going to be a huge players in today's topic. Um, so when we look at sleep deprivation, going back to the studies, um, just by that, those minimum requirements, less than six to seven hours or less than four and a half hours, uh, two to five nights in a row, you're going to be looking at direct relationships to the mimicking and the proliferation, meaning the worsening of the insulin resistance. So the hormones that make you hungry and keep you full well, they do the opposite of what they're supposed to. So leptin goes down, which that's the hormone that keeps you full. And ghrelin goes up, which is the, the hormone that makes you hungry. So if you're awake more, you're going to have more opportunity to eat in that window, which is going to increase your appetite and your food cravings. So Basic physiology says you don't get enough sleep, your leptin, which keeps you hungry, goes down, your ghrelin, your hunger hormone goes up, you have more time to eat because now you're awake. I remember after we had our first child, we used to eat the organic Annie's chocolate bunnies with Mm -hmm. uh, cashew milk in the middle of the night when we're up feeding. Meg and I, we used to have a bowl of cereal. Well, guess what? I wouldn't have normally ate that if I was sleeping. So there's one thing right there that now if you're ingesting more food and your hormones are out of whack, you're immediately having another exposure to higher insulin levels when your body should be bottoming those out in the middle of the night. Yeah. So you have accessibility and you have hormonal reasons why your body is food seeking at that point when you shouldn't be anyway, you, you have a, at least a double whammy uh, working against you at that point. I believe one of the old juices back in there might've been Sunny D 
And I think that was the kids coming in from out to play. But I remember a commercial just sitting here where there was some, and you might be able to remember this. Um, my brain doesn't typically work that way. Um, but it's, I just recall like there being a commercial or a marketing plan where it's, you know, the, the guy or the woman, you know, sleepwalking to the fridge and opening the fridge in the middle of the night and reaching for this product. Like it's, <laughs> it's part of the American culture. Like, Oh yeah, here, I'm going to walk to the fridge and eat this thing in the middle of the night. And I don't remember if it was a tasty cake or whatever, but the point is, yeah. um, that's what's happening. Like you're literally putting yourself in that position. Um, and then a couple other things just from that. Uh, never mind you increase fatigue. Um, well, duh, you sleep less, you, you feel more tired. Um, but you also mess with your body's thermoregulation, which is um, burning, you know, temperature. So your body temperature will actually decrease. Um, and then you have a direct relationship to your um, cortisol, which is your stress response, and your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight. If a tiger jumps out of the shrubs, you need to be able to run away. That's the system that is operating, which then raises your stress hormone, which is your cortisol. Well, we don't have tigers jumping out of shrubs in today's world, but we do have bosses and we do have traffic. And we do have, um, you know, a lot of other stressors. We do have social media. We do have um, the political climate that's constantly being bombarded us by every, you know, possible outlet on social media platforms and Twitter and snap face mm -hmm. chat thing or whatever else it is, you know? So we have these extra stimulus. Where global, warming, global warming, global warming, whatever it is, you have these extra stimuli. So never mind, are you getting it during the day? But now because you're not sleeping, it's, it's doubling up. So your cortisol is going up and your sympathetics are going up. Um, and that is not what you want in the middle of the night. So you're losing yeah. your body's natural ability, which is all going to uh, increase your body's insulin resistance. So um, metabolic rate and flexibility is a big one. So when your body temperature goes down, you're not having as much burning, you're, so you're not thermoregulating properly. So your metabolic rate and your flexibility, so your body's ability to be flexible and balance based on your day-to-day -day stress levels and your food intake also goes down. So again, it's going to result in insulin being in the body longer and being in the bloodstream longer, which is going to decrease your body's ability to use um, glucose effectively. So you're literally mm. just pouring gasoline on the fire and not giving yourself a break when your body is supposed to be resting in deep REM sleep or going through the four stages of sleep during the night. So, um, I mean, when I read, started reading this stuff, I was like, oh no, this is me. <laughs> Right. So Tommy, you, yeah. you talked about a lot about this, how the scale will change or won't change. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the sleep deprivation, even on the short term, if I can summarize, it starts to shift your body into a one trick pony. It starts to turn off all of these helpful processes and it pushes it towards a stressed state, one where it says, I'm not sure where the food's going to come from. So I need to store fat. I need to be seeking more food. So that's why the hormone shift is changing and it's not getting the time that it needs to recover. So vital processes start to suffer. It, it goes into almost a, a survival because 
um, the, the, the fastest way to initiate the stress response is actually just to deprive the body of sleep. It is a very stressful situation and it is cumulative and it's not one where you can miss a few hours each night throughout the week and then make up for it on the weekend, do the weekend warrior sleep recovery. And so where we see this um, on the scale is when we start to fast and we're still using unhealthy sleep habits. So I'll give a quick example. Um, I was in the middle of, uh, let's see, I was in the middle of my first um, real plateau. Uh, so I, I kind of did a maintenance, like a short-term maintenance break um, after I, I dropped about 25 pounds when I started fasting. And then I said, okay, I'm ready to get to the next step. Let me do a seven-day fast, okay? So typically on a new seven-day fast, I'm going to see probably five pounds lost in the first 24 hours. That's typically just water and glycogen. So, But it, it's still something that if you're you're tracking it, daily, you're going to be looking for. So then by the next day or two, I'm pretty much expecting about half to two thirds of a pound, you know, each day after that. So I started looking at the scale and this was a stressful time um, between office and kids and everything else. I, I was about three and a half to four and a half hours of sleep for three days in a row. And I was still fasting, which is mentally tough anyway. Right. Um, going through those later night hours and, and not snacking anything. Um, so I don't recommend it even just for that reason. But then by the time I woke up, um, the scale started pushing backwards and that was extremely frustrating and surprising. And then when I, I started thinking about my sleeping habits during that time, um, it, it made perfect sense. And, and that's the thing. If you don't have insulin resistance, um, or diabetes, then you're not going to notice this unless you are really on top and experienced in fasting or tracking in the old calorie in calorie out model. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it used to happen to me. And I didn't even know what was happening at the time, you know, and I'm going to share that, that graph at some point in some of the content that we create. And one of the guides that that log or that graph that I have where I tracked everything over a three year period. Um, mm -hmm. And you can see where, you know, and, and Meg would say, my wife would say this to me too, because we'd be, you know, prepping for a trip. We'd be going, you know, going, going to the blue water somewhere for her birthday, um, you know, a couple of years back. And it was always, okay, here's six months. I'm going to do the, here's my numbers. I'm going to calculate. I need 300 deficit per day. If I want to lose 35,000 calories, which is 10 pounds, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I would just calculate it out and I would have my goal. And then, you know, there'd be a few nights a week where I wouldn't sleep. And I know if I get up in the middle of the night that that scale that I walked by to go to use the restroom would not change when I woke up in the morning. And then we'd get up mm -hmm. and we used to track our numbers and just write them on the mirror, um, like with an Expo marker. And my wife would be like, oh, and I'd be like, I didn't sleep. She would know just by looking if I had slept that night before. It was right. crazy. And in the beginning, I didn't realize it. But then I was like, oh, yeah, if I sleep, I'm going to lose three to five if I'm fasting. If I don't sleep, not going to happen. So the proofs yeah. in the pudding is my, as my, um, my dad would say with this, one of his wonderful phrases. Um, so it's, it's, if, if you're aware of it, you know, um, it's, it's there and it's happening in the, in the long-term problem is if it happens over years, um, just like my dad, uh, he woke up every morning at two 30 to go to work. Uh, he worked in a, a grocery store. So he was there. He had to open the store as the receiving manager 
And that mm -hmm. directly leads to, because you have all these things taking place, your insulin levels are up, your insulin's in the bloodstream longer, your glucose tolerance goes down. And now you're talking about proliferating, not just having, but forcing and accelerating the process of insulin resistance, weight gain, obesity, and metabolic syndrome. So you're literally pushing yourself towards diabetes, or if you have diabetes, you're pushing yourself farther into it. That is why sleep is so important. So yeah. um, looking at how to be successful with it would obviously be the question that we get a lot, right, Tommy? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not to, what, not what to be doomsday. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah, can't sleep I mean, well you're screwed you know yeah no no no. i mean there there are ways and just being aware of the 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 literal consequences especially when with regard to your overall health your fasting regimen and how you know the the best laid fasting plan and um you know getting through a 48 or a 72 hour or or however long you just did um, but not keeping control of your sleep, knowing that it's going to negate that, um, that's going to be powerful motivation for you to, to keep that aligned um, with, your, with your fasting goals as well. And that's why we're talking about it. Yeah, 100%. And here are the, the five things that I do. And there's a lot of other things you can do. But these are the five things that, you know, I personally do. And we've talked a lot about these. Um, mm -hmm. And the first thing is get up and out of bed in the morning and get out and see the sun. Um, the research shows 30 minutes outside in the sun with the sun rising in the morning. It resets your circadian rhythm, which works hand in hand with your sleep and with your insulin resistance. So um, the sun actually naturally gives us red lights and infrared lights, which we can't see. And those are direct, direct opposites to the blue lights. So the blue light meaning the screens, the iPads, the, the LED light bulbs, the TVs, um, all of those different types of things. So they're basically um, just wake up signals for the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, boom, here I am. Great. Now, if you can work outside and look at your computer, then you're wiping out the effect of the computer screen as it's happening, which is some mm -hmm. pretty cool stuff. So um, the additional benefit is if you do work out or even if you walk, walk in the morning because you actually have a two times fat loss which was crazy. Um, and I didn't even know this and I've been working out. <laughs> no, I mean, you started at what? 12. I think I started at 14. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that. So if you're outside in the sun, there's so many benefits. So the first thing you want to do is to set your rhythm. And like you said, give your brain the cues it needs is to get up and get outside in the morning. Yeah. Um, the opposite of that is blue light in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Especially are you a, at night. Are you yep. a TV in the bedroom? Guy, tell me. Uh, TV in the bedroom. So uh, that's uh, that's my wife's uh, old habit uh, from when <laughs> she was a kid. So and mine too. Yeah, um, you know, and and I'm I'm not going to be the one to say we can't uh, do that if if you need it to fall asleep. So what we do is just turn the brightness all the way down. So using it as just kind of a, a background thing, uh, just with the brightness way 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 down, so you can cut down on on that blue light effect and that stimulation. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you don't have a problem falling asleep or staying asleep, then you may not be, you know, have to be so drastic. But I, I was traumatized in undergrad where a roommate in a TV and ever since then I've been <clears throat> anti TV in the bedroom. So the problem is, it's not just the TV. It's the iPads, the Kindles, the iPhones. So the first mm -hmm. thing you want to do is you want to shut those things off an hour before bed. <clears throat> um, not as you're in bed and you don't want to look at them right when you get up. So 
I know people, the first thing I hear is, oh, I use my phone as an as a alarm clock. Great. Put it on night shift and then don't scroll. Shut it off, put it back down and then go. The three seconds it took you to look at it to shut off your alarm isn't going to be damaging. But the right. key is the hour before bed and then also use the blue light blocking lens, which bl- blocks most of it in the night shift mode. So my laptop and my phone is constantly on night shift mode to the point where I'll show a picture to my wife and she'll be like, your phone looks weird. I'm like, yeah, I know, right. but I just, it's constantly on because I know I spent a lot of time on both of those things, you know, especially working in the digital media. So, um, yeah, it's a good idea. And the wavelengths you want to look at are anywhere between 400 and, you know, 50 to 535, which is actually blue and some of the green light. Um, so if you're going to, um, you know, buy some blue light blocking lenses or, or something along those lines, don't buy the $10 cheap ones. Uh, do a little research and, and look at those numbers because you, you want to be specific about that. So, um, okay. Tommy, I know you um, talk about the, you know, eating what to eat later in the day. Um, and I, I know you have a strategy for it. I just can't remember what it is <laughs> for actually eating later in the day. Yeah. Like when you eat in the evening, um, you know, I think I had to do along along with the lines of like carbs and, and larger meals in the evening and those types of things. But yeah. Yeah. You know, um, just the earlier you can eat the better, obviously, yeah. but that, that doesn't, that doesn't always work with lifestyle. Um, so the later it's going to be just keep it smaller. If it's going to be later, smaller is better. Um, the later it is, the less alcohol, um, alcohol right before bed, uh, does bad things with your blood sugar. Um, it can, it can, um, overly uh, make it overly volatile and um, and mess you up with uh, with your with your rhythms and wake you up in the middle of the night even um, so the same that's thing- crazy I didn't realize that mm-hmm. it'll wake so, you up wow yeah so if you come if you come crashing down uh, your body says oh wait a minute we need to do something about this and and alarm bells go off and then you can you can actually wake up from it um, and then it's it's even worse when it's a high carbohydrate meal a bigger meal you'll have a gastrointestinal distress maybe some acid and that will keep you out of those deeper uh, sleep cycles as well yeah that's a really good point so caffeine's another one so i know for me caffeine i was doing double venti quad shots at one point and I could I literally feel like the chest flutters, <laughs> super mm-hmm. high stress, running the big clinic and new baby and changing locations in my wife's new practice and all that kind of stuff. I just remember like I used to literally have to stop drinking caffeine um, for a while. You know, ideally it's four to six hours before bed, but really I try to shoot for that two o'clock in the afternoon. Ideally it would be even earlier, like 12 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But just stay you know, stay aware of it. You know, everybody that's listening, just, you know, try it for a few days. Um, and you know, if you're fasting, it's going to be, you know, for me, I like to have that black coffee in that two o'clock range. Um, it's kind of a habit because that's typically when I would have my crash post lunch back in the day, but now I don't have that problem. So, um, it's just, I like that black coffee then, but I usually try to cut it off by two and then alcohol is three hours before bed. I didn't realize that it can wake you up, but that makes so much sense because Back in the day when I was struggling, you know, I'd come home, have a couple glasses of wine, have a couple IPAs, 
and it would help me go to sleep, but then I would wake up a few hours later and be up. So yeah, that makes total sense. So yes, it can be real hard to get back to sleep. And if that's the case, there goes your, your deep sleep cycle, which is what actually gives you those feelings of restfulness and resets um, all of your hormonal triggers as well. Yeah. And it gets that insulin in the place that it needs to be for mm-hmm. when the, uh, the dawn effect happens in the morning. And the last thing that I wanted to bring up was the, um, get the, I already mentioned getting the electronics out of the room, but about your room, the other thing would be, so I don't forget is set it cold. Um, ideally all the research says, I mean, this is, it's 60 to 67 degrees and, hmm. um, that is ideal. So if you're like 67 degrees, no way. Um, okay, we'll get a weighted blanket, um, one of those gravity blankets, and try to start with 70. But get it if you're sleeping with 78 degrees, you're not doing your body and your uh, insulin in your sleep any benefit. So start to tick that down, uh, start to work on it the most you can, and then try to get a bedtime routine. So put the phone down, read, bath, um, prep for the next morning. I lay out Quinn's stuff. I straighten up the kitchen. If, you know, dinner was crazy with the two little ones, make sure the the dog bowls are picked up. I take the dogs out. Um, I'll read a little bit. Um, you know, on Tuesday nights, a little bit different when we get done with this, I will go sit outside, um, just on the back patio for a little while and kind of decompress and not stare at a screen. Um, but really find a routine. Um, and you know, you might be listening to me like, man, that's a lot of stuff to do for sleep. Sleep is so important. Um, all of that stuff we mentioned happens when you don't sleep and it's not the, the four and a half hour mark. It's literally under that seven hour mark over time can have the same effect. So, um, yeah. just encourage you guys to make those changes. Um, and, uh, you know, just start to implement a couple of things at a time. You don't have to, you know, change everything all at once. Yeah. They'll support all of your, all of your efforts in your fasting journey. And they will also, they might uncover some things um, as far as uh, reasons for uh, failure in the past or uh, having to try a new method or not quite hitting your target or, um, you know, even plateaus with plateaus after you've been successfully fasting. Yeah. You know, pay attention. If you weigh every day, pay attention, you will see it. So that's a really good point. Um, All right. So a couple things from the, uh, challenge, which has been, oh man, I can't, I just want to keep talking about it. Don't let me Tommy. Um, okay. I won't. Thank you. The, uh, just flagged me down. Um, so one of the, uh, the messages we got tonight was I'm one hour away from my second 24 hour fast. I'm so amazed at how much better I feel already. So this is, this is two 24 hour fasts or two, one meal a day. That's it. Mm-hmm. I've lost six pounds. I don't care if it's water. I don't feel like I'm sloshing when I walk. And we know that it's glycogen and water, which is clearing out that right. liver, which is great. Um, you know, faced a few moments of a little bit of sweating and, and, and you know, some weakness and some fatigue. Um, but, you know, tried some water with some minerals in it. And that seemed to do the trick. I'm drinking fresh squeezed lemon and hot water and just lots of water. And my blood pressure was 130 over 73 today, which is normal for the age of this person. So just but not normal in her history recently. No, no, not at all. So just amazing after two 24 hour fasts. So, um, just amazing stuff. Yeah. She's feeling so much different and it's, it's really cool to see. And we're only halfway through the challenge. Yeah. And then we got another, we got another note, um, as well. 
Uh, somebody said 15 minutes away from the 60 hour mark. This is the longest I've ever been. So that's really cool. That's what we were hoping to do in the challenge. Get some people to start thinking bigger, push them past their previous points. Um, and, and it's been really cool to see a lot of people are doing that. Yeah. It, there's a few people. <clears throat> I know you're kind of doing a custom, you know, based on your work schedule and, and date night and stuff this week. Um, which oh, is let great. Me, let me tell everybody because a lot of the listeners don't know. Yeah, okay. So, so we, we mapped out our plan at the beginning of the challenge. I chose a custom. Uh, Dr. Scott said it was because I like to be difficult. I disagree. <laughs> I, did, I did not say that. <laughs> something like that. Um, <laughs> so I did a 96 hour, um, from Saturday to Wednesday. And then we have date night, um, me and my wife on Wednesday. And then, um, another 72 hour after that to finish up on Saturday night. Um, because I wasn't going to change date night. I'm not going to do just, I, I would, I wouldn't mind a, a seven day, but if I do a seven day, it starts on a date night and then it's going to end on one. So, yeah, we, um, we, uh, I decided I did a seven day last week and ended on the day of the challenge. And then I decided to start up and do another seven day. Uh, cause I'm really, Crazy. yeah, I know, I know I'm pushing to my, I'm pushing to my final goal here. Okay. Um, which is getting back under 200 pounds and staying there. Um, which will be, you know, 50 to 60, closer to 60 pound at the end goal, 60 pounds lost. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'm doing it. And there were some people in the group that wanted to do it. So I figured I would do it along with them. Uh, and I do have a date night on Thursday. So my wife said, don't worry, we'll do something that won't involve, you know, food and adult beverages. And I said, what does that look like? She goes, well, we can go to the movies and I can get stuff. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. That um, sounds good for her. And yeah. So doing another seven cool day, but there, we gave the, we gave everybody in the challenge some options, you know, a three, one, three, some, uh, you know, one meal a day, uh, a long seven days. So it was really cool to see what people chose. Um, yeah. and just the results have been absolutely amazing. So I don't, I don't want to, I said not to, I wasn't going to go off another tangent about the, uh, the challenge. So I'm going to stop it's, there. It's, it's been so much fun. It's a uh, lot of fun to talk about too and, uh, and see what's happening in there. Absolutely. So, all right. Um, let's wrap this one up. So sleep, um, you guys have the marching orders on what to do. So hopefully, um, there's some value and if there's any questions, uh, please don't hesitate to go to the website, www.thefastingforlife.com. And you can click the link to contact us. The webs, the email will pop up, send us a message. Um, you can also go to, uh, Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Um, and then uh, leave us a review, leave us some feedback. Uh, we definitely want to hear and know what's going on with you guys and continue this conversation and this journey together. So, yeah, and, um, and one, one, one more point, if you don't mind me interrupting. Um, your action step for the week is ah, going point. to be take a look at your sleeping patterns, okay? Look back the last week or two or, or however long you can remember or go back or if you wear an Apple Watch, uh, during sleep or your phone tells you how much you slept, look at the data or, or just remember back. And, um, and if you can't remember, then just plan for this coming week. Um, think about what you want to implement as far as good sleep pattern and good sleep habits. Um, make a positive change or two and write them down, stick to them and get some better sleep and see how you feel and see how the scale and your fasting responds as well. Awesome. I totally forgot about that. And um, on that note, I am going to go get some good sleep. There you go. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. See ya. 
So, you've heard today's episode, and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter, where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life. Oh,